Hello there and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the United States of America, the Fruited Plain, and all of you across the Fruited Plain and wherever the Purple Mountains majesty exists, you can call in 877-973-7425. I am going to repeat a topic from yesterday. I'm going to do it. I'm, I promise. I'm live. We're not playing best of. I haven't sneaked out to use the bathroom again after the chili dog attack. I, I'm, But I got to go back. And there's a reason that I must redo what I did yesterday because I have been overwhelmed with people. Again, this is one of the downsides of this program is that I'm so bleeding edge with the headlines that – I, I get to the headlines and and I cover them and well, um, well, then the headlines really sink into the news the next day and I got to repeat myself from the day before because all of y'all are like, why didn't you talk about this? Well, if you tuned in every day, you would have heard me talk about it. So I got to talk about this again because I'm getting even now like I'm checking uh, direct messages on Instagram and have people and, and I I first of all I got to apologize. Instagram used to be the place you guys could get me. I have so many people who try to get me on Instagram. I can't keep up with it all. I've got about 2,000 message requests on Instagram. I just can't keep up anymore. Uh, And then a lot of people email. But everyone is emailing, is it true? Is it really true that the Biden administration sent our strategic petroleum reserve to China? Yes, it is true. But... There are some caveats. It is nuanced, but the nuance itself is what should bother you greatly about what the Biden administration did. So let me explain, first of all, basic concepts. West Texas crude, that, that's where uh, in the U.S. we talk about West Texas crude and then you hear about Brent crude. Brent crude is European oil market. West Texas crude is, is the American oil market. But then you hear something else. You hear sweet crude. And what is sweet crude? Well, there are two types of crude oil. There is sweet crude and there is sour crude. Sweet crude is the desirable oil. Sweet crude is the oil that uh, we pull out of the ground typically in North America. Uh, We get it out of shale. We've gotten it out of the ground out of the Gulf of Mexico. And we call it sweet crude because its state in which it comes out of the ground is highly easily, efficiently refinable. It does not have a lot of impurities or particularly sulfur in it. Sour crude comes out of the ground too. Sour crude is less desirable than sweet crude. Sour crude can be refined into gasoline and petroleum products, but it has a lot more impurities, and in particular, it has a lot more sulfur in it. And the sulfur has to be removed for sour crude to be able to be useful. On top of that, you cannot refine sour crude and sweet crude together. You can't mix them at a refinery. You have to do one or the other. You can't do them at the same time. Sour crude is less efficient, takes way more time and energy to refine than sweet crude. We put sour crude 
into our strategic petroleum reserve. We don't put sweet crude in the strategic petroleum reserve. And the reason we don't put sweet crude in the strategic petroleum reserve is because sweet crude is more desirable for the market. It can be processed quicker. It can get through a refinery faster. It can get onto the market quicker. So we take the sour crude that comes up, we put it in the strategic petroleum reserve. And if there's an emergency, it's still refinable. It's still fixable. It's still workable, but it's going to be slower to use. So put the good stuff out there now and save the stuff that's not quite as good for later. The president of the United States released 600,000, no, 60 million barrels, 60 million barrels of sour crude from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Well, as I told you, when you refine sour crude, you can't refine sweet crude. Our refineries are at 94 to 95% capacity. There's about 5% available capacity. That capacity had to go to sour crude. But because of the amount of oil put in, it reduced the capacity for sweet crude because, again, you can't refine the two at the same time. So oil refineries had to reduce their sweet crude refining to increase their sour crude refining. Well, when you have now full capacity of American refineries and you've pulled all of this out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, where are you going to put it? They didn't put it back. What the Biden administration decided to do was send it to China, Italy, and France. So Europe and Asia, but in particular China, France, and Italy, got part of our sour crude to refine for their markets. Now, the White House says that because oil is a global market, as long as we send it abroad and it gets into the market, it reduces overall demand, increases overall supply, it helps lower rates everywhere, and that helps us tremendously. They have a point there. It is true. The problem is twofold. One, it was our strategic petroleum reserve for our domestic market. And the Biden administration, by releasing the strategic petroleum reserve, caused our refineries to turn off refinement of sweet crude so that they could refine sour crude, which takes longer. So it actually slowed the ability of getting gasoline to the pump. But in so doing, they also sent the sour crude to China, Italy, and France, which did the same thing there. On top of that, it's meant for us. It's not meant for them. So while it made sense at a macroeconomic scale to send it to them to help lower global oil prices, it was meant for us to lower our oil prices. There was still minimal refinery capacity that could have handled it, and they chose not to scale up those refineries but to send it abroad. Not only did they do that, they're going to have to put it back. You're going to have to fill back up the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is going to cause an export of sour crude when we need to be fixed sated on pumping out and pulling out of the ground sweet crude, so it's a huge distraction. The Biden administration could have done something differently. They could have incentivized the production of domestic sweet crude. They could have done that. But they don't want to do that. 
the Biden administration does not want to incentivize the production of sweet crude in this country. They want to get rid of sweet crude production in this country. They want to end the market. The petroleum industry has no incentive to invest and grow and produce because it takes 20 years to get their money back to make a profit. They want to make a profit. The whole incentive of the free market is to make a profit, and the Biden administration wants them all shut down in the next 10 years. It's just it, – it's it's madness what they're doing. I want to play this exchange from Bloomberg. I keep hearing that word fair, and you and I have had this conversation before. It sometimes makes it sound like something nefarious is happening in certain places. The president over the weekend said this. My message to the companies running gas stations and setting prices at the pump is simple. This is a time of war and global peril. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you're paying for the product and do it now. Jeff Bezos came out and tweeted the following. I'm sure you read it. Inflation is far too important a problem for the White House to keep making statements like this. It's either straight-ahead misdirection or a deep misunderstanding of basic market dynamics. I'm not going to accuse you of the latter. I want to talk about the former. Where's that messaging coming from? The president has made clear that his number one goal is delivering for the American people. We are in a time of crisis. We are in a time of war where where the president and our allies, we are supporting the Ukrainian people. Congress is engaged in this effort, both sides of the aisle, to say this is an important priority. And one of the consequences is this high price of oil because of global trends. You didn't answer his important question. Everyone, Heather, everyone in the nation wants to know the answer to the question Mr. Farrell just asked you, which is who is advising the president? on shockingly naive price theory over a gallon of gas. So the president is not shockingly naive. Uh, Yeah, actually, the president is shockingly naive when it comes to this. And it's remarkable that they're sending this overseas. And and I got to tell you, the um, it's. It should, I mean, well, just, just this is this is also on Bloomberg. This is uh, Brian Deese, the National Council of Economic Advisors uh, chairman. So the release of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve sounds esoteric to people, but you know, oil market analysts you've had on this show will say it was single-handedly responsible for keeping keeping oil prices going higher. That's not really a defense for sitting at China. It's also a distraction from the fact that by incentivizing that release, they degraded our refinery capacity. And in degrading our refinery capacity to handle sweet crude, they slowed the processes down. They could have expanded domestic production of sweet crude, but they chose not to do that. They've chosen to attack oil companies for not doing it while themselves disincentivizing being able to do it. It's just insanity at this White House right now. And you've got now again this story at Politico. Let me read this to you. Uh, This is from a senior White House official. It's probably Kate Bedenfield who's departing. And listen to this. A lot of people were frustrated by the rollout and by the idea we were trying 
to Paul Volcker our way out of this problem, said a senior official referring to the legendary Fed chair of the 1980s who relentlessly jacked up rates to break the back of soaring inflation, triggering two recessions along the way. The official, who like others inside the administration interviewed, declined to be identified, said the new messaging showed that, quote, people who are inherently cautious are dominating the internal debate meaning the economic moderates in Biden's inner circle. It didn't really have a lot of moderates. He just has some liberals, not progressives. They're not far out there. This has got to be a Kate Benfield quote. If she's complaining that essentially the moderates have hijacked the messaging, she's on her way out. Progressives worry Biden is abandoning the liberal vision of government's role in countering decades of growing income inequality, further assisting women and people of color in making progress in the labor market and transforming the nation's infrastructure into one that relies on clean energy. They don't want the president out there attacking oil companies and demanding they produce more because they don't want more produced. They want us to all get Battery-powered cars. I was about to say Teslas, but they don't want that anymore since Elon Musk came out and said he'd support Ron DeSantis in 2024. But they want you to battery-powered car. Every time this administration gets involved in trying to bring down oil prices, they've actually made it worse. You know, in the last couple of weeks, they've done nothing. And what's happened? Oil prices are starting to come down. This White House by moving on to doing nothing has actually made things better. But this president himself has chosen instead to continue to blame Vladimir Putin. We made incredible progress on the economy from where we were a year and a half ago. We got a long way to go because of inflation, because of the, I call it, the Putin tax increase. Putin because of gasoline and all that grain he's keeping from being able to get to the market. Now I'm fighting like hell to lower costs on things that you talk about around your kitchen table. My dad used to say at the end of the day, it's just when you sit at that table, do you have enough money to pay for everything you need? Not a lot over. Do you have enough money to pay for everything you need? Well, Republicans do nothing to obstruct our efforts to lower your gas taxes. I propose that. I've asked the Congress to eliminate the federal gas tax. And he's blaming Republicans, and it's the Democrats in Congress who said no to him. Did he get the memo on that? This is really pathetic. He keeps making the situation worse. By putting sour crude into the market, it shut down refinery capacity to refine sweet crude for slower sour crude refinement. Our refineries got so glutted with sour crude once the oil was out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, instead of putting it back, they sent our oil— in our strategic reserves to China and Europe. And now, do you really think China and Europe are going to help fill back up the strategic petroleum reserve? No, you're going to pay for that. Listen, I realize it's a podcast ad, but it's also true. I do sleep under bowl and branch sheets every night. They are noticeable, distinct there. They've got a great weight to them. They've got a great softness to them, and they get softer over time. They use the best 100% organic cotton threads on the planet for superior softness and a better night's sleep. 
They're soft to start with. They get softer. They've also got a great weight. They're not too light. They're not too heavy. They keep you cool in the summer, warm in the winter. They're just perfect sheets, really. They use the highest quality threads there are. They're beloved even by three U.S. presidents. They got over 10,000 stellar reviews. And you can feel the difference of their iconic signature sheets pretty immediately. Bull and Branch even gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. The annual summer event is starting soon, but Bull and Branch is giving you guys exclusive early access before anyone else to 20% off with promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. It is their best offer of the year before the holidays, so you need to act now. Again, you guys, my listeners of The Eric Erickson Show, get this exclusive early access, and you get to save 20% with promo code ERIC. It's Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, for 20% off. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. So if you're on my daily email, I have not actually written morning pieces the last couple of days because I've been nonstop on the road. Uh, But I am still, with Philip's help and Charlie's help, sending out the daily show notes to paid subscribers. So all the stack of stuff of things that I'm covering on the show, you're getting on a daily basis. You can read and make up your own mind on this stuff. You don't have to take my word for it. See it for yourself. If you text the word DATA to 33777, you will get a link back. You can subscribe to my daily email, and you will get... Every weekday that I'm on radio, you get a stack of stuff at noon uh, or thereabouts covering all the stuff uh, on the show. Now, I got to I got to quickly mention something. Boris Johnson is the prime minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. He has resigned. I want to play for you this clip of Maggie Haberman on CNN this morning with this news in the United States as well. Yeah, well, that's, Maggie, what people are going to be looking at. And maybe this is just the case of the straw breaking the camel's back when it comes to Boris Johnson. But if you are looking for some sort of comparison and you look at former President Donald Trump, uh, folks might wonder, well, why would Boris Johnson's party say enough when Donald Trump's party will not say enough, Maggie? Well, because, Brianna, these are different circumstances and these are different countries and these are different setups in terms of the party structure and in terms of who they're accountable to. Uh, The way that the system works in the U.S. is that, you know, all of these uh, elected officials in the Republican Party, whether it is members of Congress or whether it's senators, mostly members of Congress, who feel like they need Donald Trump's support in order to make it through their primaries, uh, are right now hard-pressed to change from that. Now, again, I think the bigger comparison is, it's and it's too late for this, right? This is looking at hindsight. But why didn't you have a lot of uh, cabinet officials working for Donald Trump resign en masse? And that is a question that I think is going to be asked of history for a very, very long time. But whether there is a a broader analogy here, I I just think the systems are just too different. Okay, there's a lot to say about this. First of all, the CNN anchor uh, making it about Donald Trump and the GOP. Maggie Haberman is right. Completely different systems operate completely differently. Um, there's there's not a, there's not a way to make an analogy there. 
but also to Maggie Haberman's point of of cabinet officials working for Trump resigning in mass and and what what history is going to be asking about? No, history is going to be thankful. I think that a lot of them didn't. So the president continued up until the end to have people there who would give him good advice. But why isn't the media, the American media, asking this about Joe Biden? I mean, uh, given the economy, given the leaks out of the White House, given the meltdown that's happening in the White House, given his polling, the media in this country, instead of still obsessing about Donald Trump and revisions of history, should probably be asking themselves, why isn't Joe Biden being pushed out of his job? Yes, he's elected. Yes, he gets four years. But um, why aren't the Democrats behind the scenes working to push him out now? Why aren't the Democrats behind the scenes working to say, let Kamala finish your term, dude? You've screwed up so bad, there's no way she could be worse, even if we don't like her. Give her two years to build up a run for president so we don't have a messy primary. They're not doing that. They're not. They're standing by their man, and they're all going to sink on the ship in November. Abortion, screaming about it, the hysterics, it's not going to help them. It's too late. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this here program, uh, very happy to have you with me. I want to take some phone calls now. Let's begin with Joy. You're up next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Hi there. Uh, I want to say thank you, first of all, for presenting that story on sweet and sour crude, because I think um, a lot a lot of us in the center, which I am, don't ever get the full nuanced story. So I appreciate you presenting that today. Oh, you're welcome. I, I work. I work with um, the electric vehicle and the natural gas industry, and so I want to take a little bit of issue with your uh, your concern about electric vehicles. Um, and I've done the math on this, and electric vehicles actually contribute more to our state budget than do regular sedan cars. And here's the math on that. If you take an electric vehicle, which typically only drives about 10,000 miles, a year because let's face it they're not designed to go right. right now long distances and you take a sedan which on average goes about 13,000 miles a year that 13,000 miles is going to be at 22 miles a gallon it's going to be about 470 gallons a year and so that sedan is going to pay at the state level the state gas tax at 27 cents is going to be um, around 100 and, or $115, $105, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the electric vehicle user fee that the state of Georgia puts on all electric vehicles, that's $213. So for every electric vehicle that goes on the road in the state of Georgia, and other states have electric vehicle user fees like this, um, you are getting twice as much money um, going into the state budget as you are for a traditional gasoline sedan. And now on top of that, electric vehicles, as we know, cost more. So you have more ad valorem tax mm-hmm. going into the state budget when people purchase electric vehicles. And the big win is that they're purchasing locally produced electricity instead of sending those gasoline petrol dollars out to Texas or another state that is sending the gasoline into the state of Georgia. So all in all, electric vehicles are a win for um, for Georgia. Well, okay. And for other states, 
Yeah, I, look, I, I I appreciate the math there. Um, I I would say though that in the comparisons between us, like for example, a sedan versus the electric uh, vehicle, don't forget that the number one vehicle in Georgia is the F one fifty pickup truck, uh, which is less yep. fuel efficient than than the sedan. Uh, but you do make a good point. Now the problem there though isn't necessarily that I'm opposed to electric vehicles. The The problem is we don't have enough for everybody to get into it. We, we still got to have gas in the state. And you got a lot of middle Absolutely. class and lower middle class people who can't afford uh, e- even uh, some of the cheaper electric vehicles, particularly because during cold weather, the battery degradation for people driving around there. I, I think we're going to get to the point where more and more people are able to get electric vehicles. I, and I'm not opposed to that. I, I'm, I'm opposed a bit to massive subsidies for electric vehicles, um, more so than the the general automakers would get. But I'm not opposed to them. I just let the free market work in that. Uh, My concern, however, is that in producing electric vehicles, you know, we're already on the verge of a lithium shortage in the country. We haven't yet figured out the nanocarbon technology to improve the battery life there. Although I did read this fascinating or just totally nerd out aside. I'm sorry, Joy, you're not here for this. There was actually a fascinating article the other day. The University of California has figured out they can use um, carbon nanofibers in lithium ion batteries to actually um, increase exponentially the ability of it to hold a charge, not catch fire, and survive in cold weather. Very, very new stuff. But, I I mean, we're making progress in that front, the fact that they're figuring this stuff out. Uh, So I think we're getting there over time. It's it's deeply fascinating subject to me. I think the issue, though, right now is that we're not there. Uh, We shouldn't be discouraging people, but we also, I don't think, need the government trying to push people into getting something they can't afford and for a lot of families out there who have four kids, particularly in the South, where you have all the Christian homeschoolers who I dearly love, they can't fit in one. So that's my problem with them. Well, consider that the Ford F-150 Lightning, the electric version, yeah. uh, which also can power electric tools out of the back of your truck and plug into your house and power your house, the base price of that is forty grand. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that, you know, that that's the base base price. But it is these electric vehicles are coming becoming very affordable. And Elon Musk is not the only bulb in the chandelier the electric oh, yeah. chandelier, let me say that. Yeah, what we got Rivian coming. They're they're getting great reviews and stuff. So yeah, I, I, I'm 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 not opposed to them. I, I'm I just my issue is really the government pressure right now uh pushing people when for a lot of people they're not there like i mean just just take myself for example and I, let me let you go there i appreciate the phone call uh but so i have driven back and forth to atlanta three days in a row and it's the amount of gas that i've spent in my car to be able to get there i stand at the pump i fill up it takes five minutes and away i go uh, if there was that Wall Street Journal article the other day about the the women who took the road trip from New Orleans to Chicago, and it was completely overstated. They nearly missed their itinerary. They couldn't uh, charge efficiently in most places. But uh, or let's use the example of the F one fifty now. Um, how fast does it charge? Uh, according to let's see, inside EVS. Uh, 79% of F-150 Lightning um, re- reservations are from people who haven't um, had them before. But here's the deal. 
if you have a uh, 150 charger, you can add two to three miles of range per hour of charging using a 120-volt adapter. It's going to take you overnight, if not longer, to charge. If you install a high-capacity charger in your home, it still will take you at least an hour to get a decent charge. If you do a high-capacity charger, which you can install in your in your house due to the power, you can add 32 miles of range for every charge. With the fastest charger, you can add 20 miles of range. Um, and then if you do a DC fast charge, you can go 0 to 100% fast charge uh, in about 30 minutes, which is great. But still, I can the nozzle in my gas tank, hold down the lever, fill up my car and go another 400 miles before I have to do it all over again in another five minutes. It's We've still got a long way to go. Look, for a lot of people, if you're just a commuter, that's fine. But keep in mind that, the, I mean, the Ford 150 right now, Ford F-150 is the most popular car in the country or the popular truck. This number two is the Chevy Silverado. Number three is the Dodge Ram. Those are the three most popular vehicles in the country. They're the three most popular vehicles where I am in Georgia. And then you've got SUVs and the like out there. We're just not ready for the massive demand for electric vehicles that the government thinks we are. And that's part of the problem. Now, back to the phones. Uh, Linda, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hello. Hi there. Uh, I'm calling about the House bill that's been introduced, 7510. It's about revoking the uh, National Education Department. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not. Yes. Um, oh, what is it? Congressman Fitzgerald from Illinois, one of the Republicans there, um, has yes, dropped yes. it. Yes. <clears throat> I got some uh, paperwork on it. Let me, uh, if you know about it, you know what all they have put their money into mm-hmm. and what they're trying, what they have done in the school system putting in critical race theory and sexual clubs in schools. And they put over $56,000 in researching and shaming organizations who oppose critical race theory. Right. Uh, Do you think if we get together and have this charter revoked that we can get back more to educating our children, reading, writing, and arithmetic? Well, I, I, I honestly, uh, in in conservative states already, I think we're doing that. Uh, in progressive states, no. Uh, so the the measure that uh, folks Linda's talking about, it's uh, dropped by Republicans in Congress this year, HR uh, seventy five ten. It's uh, the act to repeal the National Education Association charter. The National Education Association was given a federal charter in 1906 by Congress, so it's a nationally incorporated entity, one of the very few. Uh, it is a nonprofit. It is essentially a teacher's union, and the Republicans want to get rid of the national charter, the federal charter. They can reorganize at the state level if they want. Problem here is that, one, uh, the Democrats control Congress right now, so it's not going to happen. Maybe maybe next year, but then it won't get through the Senate because the GOP won't have a filibuster-proof Senate. Uh, so it's it's a great way for Republicans to fundraise off conservatives, but it's also never actually going to become law. 
Um, Democrats would block it in the Senate. Democrats will block it right now in the House. But uh, it's a great messaging bill to point out just how terrible the National Education Association actually is. Not a good entity. Um, And we should, in fact, get rid of it. But we won't. That's just the reality of it. Now, uh, we got a lot more to talk about here. Before I move on, I want to take Gene's phone call, though. Gene, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Thank you again. Uh, Some comments about Bojo and all his worry problems over there in Britain. You know, Trump and Bojo were pretty good allies. Both of them were against globalism, and Trump supported Brexit. And surely that's one of the reasons when Biden got into the White House, they made darn sure that there's no trade agreement with Britain because mm-hmm. that was critical for Bojo to maintain his position in that country. So it had to be no surprise to uh, Bojo that his time was limited. When yeah, Trump now, his, and, and let's uh, just uh, this is Boris Johnson we're talking about. Gene, thanks very much for the phone call. Uh, Johnson really was a victim of its own, of of his own circumstances. He had a series of staffer scandals, parties. He put his whole country on lockdown, enforced lockdown, and then he and his staff refused to abide by the lockdowns, including uh, the night before Prince Philip's funeral, where the entire British people saw their queen having to sit alone by herself uh, at her husband's funeral. Boris Johnson and his staff had an all-night drunken rager at 10 Downing Street. Uh, It's been a series of cascading scandals of ineptitude there. And basically, the conservatives had enough. The the public in Britain have turned against him. Uh, Listen, he's he's always one step away from being loved again for doing something goofy in Britain, the way that country works. But it was a series of hypocritical scandals, and the people just couldn't abide by it. And – They've the conservative party there has forced him out. They've had enough. Um, they're afraid they're going to get wiped out if he stays on as party leader. So they got rid of him. Um, and that's just kind of the way that country works. Now, in this country, we have a presidency and we have a Congress. Things work differently. You can't really give a good analogy. In this country, we also have a great, robust conservative movement standing up to take on the left in the midterms. One of the groups helping do that is Patriot Mobile. What they do is they get you as a customer, and then the profits you help them generate, they dedicate a portion to funding the conservative cause. From the gun rights movement to the pro-life movement to conservatives around the country, Patriot Mobile helps, and Patriot Mobile needs you as a customer to grow their profits. And what are you going to exchange? World-class cell phone service. Data, voice, 5G, you name it. They use the same cell towers everybody else uses, so it's not like you're getting inferior service. You're getting great service with Patriot Mobile, and they put their values behind their business. They're Christians and conservatives too, and they want Christian conservatives to use them, and they have 100% U.S.-based customer service. So you can call them at 972-PATRIOT. Tell them Eric sent you. You get free activation with my name. You can also go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can check out their service down to your house. Put in your put in your address. You can see how good the service is around the country. 
You get free activation with my name. You also get great discounts if you're a veteran, a first responder, family with a large number of lines that you need for your kids. You can even roll over your existing phone number to them so you don't need a new phone number, or you can get a new phone number if you want. If your phone's an unlocked phone, you can take that to them too. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K or call them 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you, get free activation. So, you know, there's this thing that happens. Uh, Ted Cruz, back in 2016, as he was gaining traction, was compared repeatedly by left-wing pundits in the mainstream media to Hitler. And... Then, of course, you know, very famously, Donald Trump was the racist. And Bill Maher, on his, in one of his monologues in 2016, said, yeah, I know we've said this about all the Republicans, but this time we really mean it. Uh, you go back to Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney was, was the, the terrible, awful racist. John McCain was before that. George W. Bush was, of course. Uh, and, well, now they're on to Ron DeSantis, uh, an authoritarian. Oh, my gosh, he's authoritarian. Uh, he actually had, I think it was Max Boot, the idiot in the Washington Post, who s- wrote a column and said, essentially, uh, DeSantis is worse than Trump because he's smart and has a work ethic. He's the real authoritarian. These people are so predictable. I mean, really, the, the, it's, the, be- the best thing to happen to Donald Trump in – for him and the media is to lose because now the media, uh, they're, they're going to say nice things. But look at the rehabilitation of George W. Bush when the media despised him or of Mitt Romney, of any Republican who goes away, suddenly the media rehabilitates them and says, the next guy is even worse than that guy. And we hated that guy. He turns out he was pretty decent after all. This guy's terrible. They're beginning to do it. Jonathan Chait, New York Magazine. DeSantis is a deeply authoritarian figure who is consolidating the fringe right-wing groups Trump brought into the party. Crazy. Predictable. All right, real quick, I want to get to John's phone call. Don't want to leave you hanging here, John. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I got about a minute, John. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm going to address that issue about more electric vehicles. Yes. We have just been told in the last couple of weeks that the country can expect rolling blackouts, not particularly Georgia, mm-hmm. the west and northeast. What are we thinking about? We're going to plug in a bunch of cars in the middle of rolling blackouts? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the other problem. We we, shut down all our plants. We don't have the energy capacity in this country to handle if everyone wanted to plug in all at once. In fact, you know, in Texas, uh, some electric car manufacturers, I don't want to say it was Tesla, but it was one of them, actually uh, remotely turned off recharging overnight in their vehicles because of power grid strains in Texas. So even though people had plugged up their cars to charge them at night, the cars themselves were overridden by the manufacturer, so they couldn't charge for time because of stress on the power grid. We're not a country set up for all of us to have electric cars right now. We're not. For those who have them, God bless them. Look, if I could get a Tesla, I would probably get one and drive it back and forth to Atlanta. There's a high-capacity charger at my office. I could come up in the morning, plug the car in. Nobody uses those slots plug the car in, and then go home and save the hundreds of dollars I'm spending on gas a month right now commuting back and forth to Atlanta. 
I, I, I probably would. My family would ridicule me to no end. They think they're ridiculous cars. I think they're kind of cool. But I, I would probably I, – I wouldn't mind having an electric car. But I really like my Denali, and I got a wife, two kids, and a dog, and there's no way we would take a road trip in an electric car. Uh, we would use my Denali from Jim Ellis. It's awesome. I love it.